This is the Savvy Parent Podcast, where lawyer and financial planning expert Shannon McNulty and her guests share tips on how to make smart legal and financial decisions for your family. On this episode of the Savvy Parent Podcast, the next in our deep dive series into the estate plan, Shannon shares with us about one of the most critical documents parents need to have in place, power of attorney. She sheds light on what this important document covers and how much power it actually gives. Because the power of attorney allows someone to make legal and financial decisions on your behalf, you want to choose the person wisely, but also make sure that the documentation is executed correctly. The power of attorney is not a do-it-yourself sort of document, and Shannon shares all the details that parents need to know. Shannon, I am so excited to have us both back on the podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Sarah. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? I'm good. So I'm excited about this topic because it's one I'm not super knowledgeable on. So, you know, oftentimes on the show, I really look forward to listening, learning and listening as our listeners do as well. So this is a good topic. So power of attorney, start us off. What is it? A power of attorney is a document that authorizes someone to make legal and financial decisions for you. So this can be anywhere from paying bills, accessing your bank accounts, to signing documents for you, um, making legal decisions. So it, it is pretty broad and it is a pretty powerful document. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It's broad and it's very powerful. So when when would someone sort of take over? When does a power of attorney come into play? Obviously, if someone passes away, but are there, are there other circumstances where a power of attorney would take over? So that's actually a very common misconception that a power of attorney is effective after you pass away to deal with your assets. A power of attorney is only effective while you are still living. And then after you die, it's not effective anymore. Then your executor, whoever's dealing with your estate matters, then takes over. So the power of attorney, the reason why people put this in place is because if they become incapacitated, they want somebody, they want to designate someone to manage their affairs for them. This comes to an interesting question as to when does it go into effect? Ideally, we would want to say this power goes into effect only when it's needed, right? That kind of makes sense. It's like I'm in the hospital and I'm unconscious and my mortgage needs to be paid. Something needs to be signed for my kids, whatever. The power of attorney is... Unfortunately, when we do a power of attorney that way in most states, it won't be it won't be effective for the purposes for which we need it. So a bank, in most cases, financial institutions really don't love powers of attorney. So they will find pretty much any reason to try to reject it. And so if a power of attorney is has some kind of condition on it that only if I'm incapacitated, this goes into effect, the bank will say, we can't make that determination. So we want a court order to say that, to demonstrate that you that this person is in fact incapacitated. Of course, the whole point of, a, of having a power of attorney is to avoid these kinds of delays and burdens and court processes. So that is the downside of having it conditional upon your incapacity. We would also call that a springing power of attorney. So because of that problem, we generally would do a power of attorney that goes into effect immediately, meaning as soon as both you sign it 
and your agent, whoever it is you're appointing to act on your behalf, signs. Okay. So meaning it goes into effect immediately. So to me, that makes me think, well, then can they just take over when they want? So then I guess, when does it really come into play? So obviously you're incapacitated, but we don't want to put that restriction on it. So when, am I making sense? I guess what I'm picturing is, you know, it can go into play whenever. And now, I mean, I'm sure we're going to pick trustworthy people. They're not just going to try and take over this big power we've given them. But when, when and how does that actually start to play out? Yeah, that is a really big concern, right? You're giving someone literally access to your bank accounts. Like they can take this document and go to the bank and take your money out. And if somebody goes in and tries to take all of your money out, there's probably some red flags at the bank, but legally they are empowered to do that. So it is something that is a concern. One of the ways that I deal with this with clients is to have them authorize the power of attorney, but don't have their agent authorize it. And instead, give that authorized power of attorney to a third party and say, keep this document. And if I become incapacitated, give it to my agent to sign and so that they can act on my behalf. So that way, it's you don't have this problem of having to go to the court, but you also aren't giving that person immediate license to go to your, to access your bank accounts. Okay. That feels good. I mean, again, we're hopefully, we know these people well, they are trustworthy, but that, that is a lot to sort of sign over in one big document. Now you may have already touched on this without kind of labeling the names, but what's the difference between a general and a limited power of attorney? And are there other terms that we should be aware of in kind of this beginning conversation? A general power of attorney is in almost all cases, the type of power of attorney we use when we're doing estate planning. Um, That means a general power of attorney means they could do everything for you, pretty much make all legal decisions for you. And they, it goes beyond your incapacity because that's the whole reason that we're, we're putting that into effect. A limited power of attorney may stop upon your incapacity. So it, it may say only while I'm able to do things, then it, it would take effect. Or uh, it may be that it's for some limited purpose. So you may authorize a power of attorney for a particular reason. So this often happens. Sometimes people will uh, appoint their attorney as a power of attorney to sign documents for them or to give your accountant a power of attorney to file your taxes for you. So that is often because of some logistical administrative reason why you're giving someone power to act on your behalf because you can't legally be there to sign yourself. So you are appointing someone to be there and sign on your behalf. Ah, okay. Very interesting. So it sounds like you could kind of craft this document to be a little more narrow if the circumstances required it. So given that, are there other powers of attorney specifically for parents to be aware of that we need to know about? Um, I mean, there's not a lot of different powers of attorney. They're they're sort of like, there's this general concept and, uh, you know, like I said, it could be limited. It could be conditional, which is the springing power of attorney. Most cases we have a general power of attorney that goes into it immediately. And, um, and for parents, I would say that the thing that they want to remember is who 
of how important it is to have this document because if they were incapacitated, somebody is literally relying on them for financially to survive. So who would be able to pay those things that needed to be paid for your child? So if you weren't there to pay your mortgage, pay your utility bill, to pay your daycare, you know, private school tuition, whatever for your child, then do you have a relative who could pick up those costs? Most of us don't have have somebody who could just shell out like an extra mortgage every month. So it is really important for parents to make sure that they have this document in place. It's really important. Yeah. And so the power of attorney, it sounds like they're the ones then essentially paying the bills, right? Paying the mortgage. But do they have decision-making power as well if you're incapacitated that yes, the child should continue with private school or not? Do they have that power? Or is it just send the checks, do the things that have already been put into place? Yeah, it's just really send the checks. So they only have power over the um, the finances. Also, they can assign documents for you. So they could purchase things. Say you were in the middle of a closing, you were about to close on a property and then you were hit by a car or something. And then some their signature needed to go on, on that document, then your power of attorney. I mean, maybe it would be a good idea to go through with that purchase, but I'm just trying to think of an, yeah. an example of, uh, or sometimes you have to sign a waiver when you go into the hospital. Um, that's a legal document. So your power of attorney could sign that document for you if you were unable to, to sign that document yourself. The person who would take care of your kids is uh, the guardian, whoever would be the the temporary guardian in that case. And in that case, we would want to make sure that a standby guardian or a temporary guardian, depending on what state you're in, would be would be named. And they would be the people who would take care of your child. They could decide whether what kind of school they would go to, but they wouldn't necessarily have the money to pay for it. So the power of attorney certainly has a lot of a lot of say and kind of how how those things play out. Yeah. And you, you answered the next point that I wanted to get into kind of um, talking a little bit more about each of these roles. So we said this power of attorney is for while you're alive, if you are incapacitated or you can't be there for something, the executor of the will is for, unfortunately, if after you've passed and then there is the guardian of your children, which there might be a temporary guardian and then a permanent guardian. So we can kind of see how all these pieces fit. I'm curious, should your power of attorney be different than these other roles, the executor of the will and or the guardian of your children? What do you recommend for your clients? The power of attorney and the executor are often the same person because they are doing a similar role. They're managing the sort of legal and financial issues. So if somebody was taking care of your finances before you passed away, then it kind of makes sense for them to continue to uh, deal with those issues when you're gone because they're already familiar with with doing that. The guardian, however, it can be different. That that it doesn't necessarily have to be the same person as your power of attorney. And in fact, a lot of times it's not. Um, and one reason is that it can be a lot of work to be a power of attorney. And anyone who has had to serve in that role would know that because there are all kinds of, you know, you can just imagine all of a sudden you're responsible for paying a person's bills who you don't know what bills they have, right? So you're trying to figure that out and make sure everything is is taken care of and document that. So kind of putting all of the power of attorney and the guardian, like also taking care of your kids, 
might be too much for one person. So that's why I, I, I think it's not a bad idea to have two separate people taking on those roles. Got it. You also, and I'll just add that the characteristics that you're looking for in a power of attorney may be different than you're looking for for a guardian of your kids. For the guardian of your kids, you're really looking for who would raise them responsibly and have the values that you you have. But somebody could be great at raising kids, but be really bad with their finances. So, and vice versa, right? So right. you have somebody who's very much about the numbers, but you know, give them a child and they don't know what to do with, with the child. So, uh, so you really want to look at like what are what people have the types of skills and, and characteristics that you want for each of those roles. So we talked on previous episodes around the will and the guardian of kind of what specifically goes into the will for your guardian. And then you kind of want to have either a side conversation or you let them know, here are some of my wishes of, of how I would like my child to be raised. I'm curious, is the power of attorney similar that the sort of the documentation itself is just giving power and then you have maybe a side conversation and leave some notes for this person or, or is that information covered in the documentation? Um, yeah, so that's a good question. The document for a form of a power of attorney in almost every state, there's a statutory form. So you can't deviate, deviate from that form. So it's really important that you just stick with that form. You can't really write. I mean, there's ways to do it, but it's not really the, the best place to do it. The best place to do it would be in a separate document to just make sure that somebody knows what bills need to be paid. I mean, as a matter of practice, to be honest, like it's not something that most people do just because things change so quickly in your mm-hmm. life. So what bills you're paying in, at any time, but it is something to make sure I, I generally say at least like your spouse has access to any bills. Like, so you have like an email account that your bills and things go into that the, at least your spouse has access to that. And if you do not have a spouse, then generally I would recommend picking somebody who is uh, your emergency person, who maybe is your power attorney, but could be somebody else who has access to your your email accounts where you do your administrative, uh, where administrative things go. So that somebody, that's probably the best place in terms of what bills you have is that you get notifications from your email. Right. And that actually made me think of a question that I think I know the answer to. But so if you are married, you have um, a partner or a spouse, we're not making them our power of attorney, correct? Because I would imagine legally they can already pay the bills and they can make financial decisions. Am I understanding this correctly that we're picking someone else or no? is it no, our spouse? Actually, yeah. Most cases it's going to be your spouse. Okay. Pick somebody else uh, other than their spouse. But for the most part, uh, most married couples will pick their spouse. And even though your spouse may sort of pay the bills as a matter of practice, if the, uh, the accounts are not in your joint names, if they're not jointly owned, then you can't actually go to the bank and, you know, and have a, get a withdrawal or something like that from your spouse's account. So, um, and even technically speaking, you know, you, you couldn't sign their name on a check. So it is important that, uh, that you have a document naming your spouse if you want them to have those, those powers. And also just having somebody to, to sign documents as well, like I said. So your spouse does not have those, th- that authority. It, and 
So, so yeah, so it's really important okay. to, to have that in place. And in most cases we name our, you would name your spouse. Got it. Okay. So then my secondary question to that is, should you then, should you slash, can you pick another power of attorney? Cause I guess I'm just going to worst case scenarios that you and your spouse are in some sort of car accident and you're both incapacitated in the hospital. Do we need a second form in that situation? Absolutely. Well, it's, you're right to think of, okay, we, we are thinking about yeah. worst case scenarios. Okay, we're thinking about all of the bad things that can happen. Yeah. So if in the event that maybe both you and your spouse are incapacitated in the hospital or whatever, um, we do recommend that you have an alternate to serve in that capacity if your spouse is not able to do it. And you do use the same form. So the form just says to name your your primary agent and then your alternate agent. Okay. I, yeah, I think I'm not alone in the parents that we just go to worst case scenario, right? We're like, the worst case is we both go at the same time and then what happens? So, okay, good to, good to know how we get that all set up. Now, um, we're, you know, we're going into this deep dive of our estate plan. Is the power of attorney, is it included in the estate plan documents? I believe you said it's it's separate, right? So someone could set this up as is, or do you typically fold it into when you're getting someone's estate plan situated? Usually I would do it as a package. So when I'm working with clients, what I really try to do is just when they work with me, they get everything covered. So they don't want to come to me and be like, oh, well, I still have to do the power of attorney at some other time or on my own or something. So we really put it all into a package. So everything is taken care of but by the time that you're finished, then you kind of can walk away and say, okay, I've done with, I'm done with this. And now I don't have to worry about it anymore. So in most cases, it would be included in a estate planning package. Got it. And now if someone didn't come to you or someone as you know thorough as you are, and they now realize I don't have a power of attorney, how can they legally declare their power of attorney? Can they find the correct form, get it notarized, or does it need to go through um, a more formal channel like a lawyer? Yeah. So it is something that you, practically speaking, you can do it yourself, technically speaking. Uh, you can get the form, you can fill it out, and you can have it notarized. This isn't a form that I recommend as do it yourself. Um, and, I, and I try not to say that even just as a biased matter of you know, this is how I make my living. But I really do think that the power of attorney, at least in New York State, it's fairly complicated. I mean, it's even hard for a lawyer to understand. I have to be honest with you. I had to read it many, many times before before I like fully understood yeah. it. And if you sign in the wrong, there's a number of places you need to initial and sign. And if it's not done exactly right, like I said, the banks are don't love powers of attorney. So they will find a way to, to kick it back to say it's, it's, not, it's not effective. And if you have an attorney who can say, I oversaw the execution of this document and I can tell you that it's valid, then that's going to give the banks a lot more peace of mind and reassurance that this is a valid power of attorney and that they can honor it. That definitely makes sense. You started off telling us it's broad and it's big and it gives a lot of power. So yeah, it makes sense. You want to make sure it's done correctly and can do what you intend for it to do. So as we kind of finish up this conversation, I'm curious, are there times where once as parents, we've declared who we want our power of attorney to be, it's likely our spouse, maybe we have a backup. Are there times where we would want to change that or revisit it? Or is it kind of when it's done, we don't need to look at it again? Um, I mean, it's always good every year or so to just revisit who you have in these positions. It's not likely to change dramatically, but if people in your life change, then it could, it could change. You know, maybe 
your uh, sister moves away, or maybe you named a friend who you just aren't that close with anymore. So it is good. Sometimes people really can kind of set it and then forget it. And then Mm -hmm. they pull it out 20 years later and say, oh my God, thank God nothing (laughs) happened because the person I named is dead or I would never trust them to do anything with my money. So so it is good to just kind of keep in mind if things change that you do want to update that document. Okay, that's helpful. And as we wrap up today's conversation, what are two or three takeaways for parents related to power of attorneys? Well, one of the things that I would say that you kind of touched on, but didn't really go into that fully is like what happens if you don't have a power of attorney. And mm. that is that whoever is trying to pick up the pieces to make sure that your house isn't foreclosed on and all of these bad things don't happen, they have to hire a lawyer and file an action with the court and have a whole proceeding for a guardianship. And a guardianship proceeding is long, it's drawn out, it's expensive, and you don't want somebody who your spouse, whoever it is, um, one of your loved ones, while you're in the hospital and they have to go through this horrific proceeding to try to make sure everything is taken care of. So like I said before, your spouse doesn't automatically have that power. So you could end up with your spouse having to go to court to be able to take care of just basic things. So it's really, really important. This document, I can't really enforce it enough. Sometimes if people ask me, like, what is the most important document to have? Sometimes I tell them it's a power of attorney yeah. other than your guardianship. And then, so one, just saying like, this is a really important document. It's not something that you want to neglect. Two is that you want to really understand what it says and make sure that you're comfortable with the powers that it's, uh, it's, being, it's granted, that are, you're granting to someone. And then three, I think it's a good idea to, to hire an attorney and to make sure it's done right. Because this just isn't a document that, um, like I said, the banks, if necessary, if they, you, somebody needs to use it, they're going to be looking for any way that they can make it ineffective. So having a lawyer uh, oversee it and prepare it is literally the, the most, the best thing that you can do to make sure it works. Well, those are three really great takeaways and a lot of great information on power of attorney. So Shannon, thank you so much for shedding light on this really important document that parents need to make sure that they have handled. Thanks, Sarah. It was a pleasure. As usual, Shannon shared fantastic information, and now we know just how important the power of attorney really is. If you'd like more financial and legal information or to join our free community, come visit us at thesavvyparent.us.